Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, please. Continuing this morning, uh, verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Uh, We've seen Paul's call for unity, the Lord's uh, desire, command for unity, and the way of unity. Uh, Last week, Rich, we saw Paul's uh, loving concern uh, for the church corporately and the individual members, and that was expressed in his desire to send Timothy to kind of check in with them. Uh, And we saw his desire to go and be there himself, and we saw his desire to send Epaphroditus back to them as well. It may have been a pastor there. We're we're not real sure. This morning, Paul just turns back to uh, lovingly teaching and encouraging that church through this letter. And of course, ultimately, you have to see the Lord's love for that church in giving these words of instruction and encouragement to the church at Philippi, uh, but also to Long Hill Baptist Church as well, because these words are for us too, right? Mike, they're, they're God's words for this church as much as they were God's words for uh, the church at Philippi. And as I've been studying chapter uh, 3 this week, I realized in, in some ways it's kind of a mini version of Hebrews, which I've been teaching uh, through up, up at the college. And the uh, you know, book of Hebrews, of course, is uh, encouragement to new believers, most of whom seem to have been saved out of Old Testament Judaism, to not fall back. You know, to not give in to all the pressure uh, to go back into that which they had come out of uh, God's will. You know, it was God's will to not remain, to not continue in a system that was uh, expired, right? God had used it for a time, but uh, the, a new covenant had come and um, Christ had um, brought that to pass. And uh, there was still, though, pressure to go back into that which they had come from. And Uh, The book deals with all the reasons not to do that. Well, uh, here in Philippians 3, there seems to be a similar idea. Uh, We're going to see here that that Paul will warn them about Judaizers. And really, it's it's a major theme again in the book of Hebrews. He'll he'll warn them that there are some who, who seek to draw them back into that which they had come out of. And he'll, he'll encourage them, hey, uh, there, there's a few things you can do to kind of uh, hold, hold that temptation at bay. Rejoice in the Lord, number one. We'll see, we'll see a few things here. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, focus on all that you've gained in Christ today. By the way, church, have you gained anything in Christ since you've come to him? You, you gained a lot, right? You've gained salvation. You've gained all the promises uh, you, you've gained um, practical spiritual benefits this side of heaven, plus all the hope of what comes next, right? And, and hell's no part of it, not, not even for a moment. So uh, we've gained so much in, in coming to Christ in, in true biblical Christianity. We understand, and, and this might be you know, true more for some of us than others, but we understand there's a world that desires to pull us back into uh, false systems, um, unbiblical churches, wh- whatever it is. Uh, you may have known that, that pressure more at some points in your life than now. Maybe there's some this morning that, that are suffering real pressure in that way now. You know, you know you're in a church that's biblical, or at least trying, right, church? We're, are we trying to be biblical here? We are. That's our genuine heart. Uh, but there, there may be others who say, listen, I don't know why you're over there at that church. 
you know, this is, what, this is where we've been. This is what we are. This is who we are. Why don't you come back here? And so there may be some dealing with that kind of pressure today. I don't know. Um, well, Paul says here, listen, he, he understands that. There's all kinds of pressure. The Lord understands that. Uh, but you'll do well just to focus on the Lord and, and rejoice in him and focus on what you have found in a church that preaches true biblical Christianity uh, and focus on all that you have not only today but all the hope that you have, what you've uh, gained eternally as well. That'll be a, a great aid, a great inoculation, if you will, against the temptation uh, to go back to something less biblical or something that is uh, no longer valid, as was the case for Jews uh, who had been saved in the first century. So we'll see this here uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 3. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. Sound good? All right, let's, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you this morning uh, for this chapter. Lord, I, I know how important it is this morning. It's important to you. Uh, and, and therefore, it must be important to us as well. Lord, I, I know this morning, I understand some of us may not be tempted at the moment to uh, return back to some faith system or, or uh, unbiblical church or, or false religious system. We, now, we may not be tempted to do that just now, but Father, we can um, study and learn uh, about that temptation so that we can be prepared to help others who perhaps are dealing with pressure uh, or temptation or both. And uh, Lord, at the same time, I understand this morning there may be someone in the, in the church this morning uh, who is struggling with this temptation right now. And so, Lord, I, I know this chapter, this passage will be a help uh, whether we're, we're facing the temptation or the pressure now or whether, Lord, you'll just prepare us this morning for a future temptation or to be counselors to those who are facing this temptation in the future. Uh, either way, Lord, I thank you for the passage, and uh, I pray this morning that it'll be a great encouragement to each of us uh, this morning. Lord, we need your encouragement in days like these, and so uh, I pray this morning that we would, we would look to you for, for just that, your encouragement this morning, your help this morning, uh, your grace to receive these words and uh, to store them up for a day that they're needed, and, and Lord, to be prepared to um, apply them to our own hearts or to the hearts of others as we counsel uh, from your word. Lord, I love you this morning. I pray that you'll help us all now. Lord, build us up in your words. Help us now for your honor and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to read the passage first this morning. Let's, let's just jump in. I want to give you um, three W's this morning, Gary. I think, I think I gave W's recently for the first time. If not, this is the first time. But three, three W's, uh, three main points this morning that use W's, just to kind of help us remember. The first thing I want you to see is God's will, uh, his will. That's a W word. Uh, his will is that we would rejoice in him, uh, that we would rejoice in him. See, see verse 1 here, Philippians 3, verse 1. Paul writes, finally, it's kind of interesting the word finally is there. He's only about halfway through the letter, but uh, everything has kind of been driving to this point, and everything will kind of either drive to or, or out of this point. He says, finally, my brethren, uh, what does he say? Rejoice, what are the next three words, church? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That's a command, and there's no qualifiers to that command. He, he says, rejoice 
uh, in the Lord. This idea shows up over and over again uh, in, in this epistle. It is a major theme of, of this uh, book, Philippians, uh, our command to rejoice in the Lord. Someone said, why, why does the Lord have to remind us why does he have to command us to rejoice in him? Well, sometimes we, we allow the weight of the world to weigh us down. Sometimes we allow uh, things to cause us to be discouraged, depressed, down, whatever it is. We have to be commanded to turn from those things and back to the Lord and, and choose to rejoice in him, uh, we could say despite the trials or, or maybe because of the trials. Can you rejoice in the Lord this morning? Can you do that? You can, right? You can, despite everything out there, all the trials that we're facing, we, because of Christ, we can obey this command to rejoice in the Lord. Now, in, in context here, we're going to see what Paul's really saying is, listen, you, you need to rejoice in the Lord and, and, and just delight yourself in him and, and, and stay focused on him rather than uh, religious stuff and religious practices and rituals, uh, those things that maybe you were saved out of. Uh, Rich, I, I, was, um, I was first baptized as a baby Presbyterian. I've, I think I've shared that a number of times. Uh, and I understand the mainline Protestant churches absolutely believe that uh, infant baptism at least initiates grace that's required for salvation. They absolutely believe that. Uh, Catholic Church believes much the same, that, that baptism is, is, is required for salvation. It initiates the grace that is required for salvation, kind of like uh, turning on, the, turning on the, 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 the rush of salvation that's required for us to be, uh, grace that's required for us to be saved. Is that what the Bible teaches, church? It's, it's not what the Bible teaches at all, is it? Uh, what's required for salvation is, is, is repentance, uh, and faith, and then we see, receive the grace to be saved. Um, it's, it's, it, that is what's required. Uh, I understand that um, the mainline Protestant churches, what, whatever they are, uh, they have that great error. Baptism, of course, is important. We're called to it as people who have been saved, but, but not for salvation. Um, we understand that uh, all of the rituals uh, of Catholicism, the rituals that go along with a lot of the mainline Protestant churches and the rituals that go along with some of the cults, Mormonism, wherever they have an allure, there's, there's something mystical about them and they have kind of a, a religious allure to them that, that people sometimes miss. Uh, well, understand this morning that none of that stuff has power to be saved. Um, by the way, is, is Christianity even a religion? Is it even a religion? Is, that what you, is Christianity a religion? Religion is about what? It's about man getting to God, right? What is Christianity about? What is, Jesus, Jesus, didn't Jesus come to us? He came to us, right? Uh, religion, religious systems are all about how can I get to God? If you're a Mormon, it's how can I become a God, right? Uh, that, that's, that's not what biblical Christianity is. Biblical Christianity is about God, God the Son, coming here as a man to man uh, to save us so that we could have a relationship uh, with God the Father. It's very different. It's very different. Uh, Christianity, really, in that sense, really is not a religion at all. Uh, it certainly isn't about uh, rituals, and it's, it's certainly not about all, all of the, the, the ceremonial trappings that so many of the mainline denominations and, and Catholicism and, and false faith systems have built up as part of their worship experience. And 
Uh, Paul says, listen, you, you need to take care to not rejoice in all of that stuff. Don't rejoice in, in religion and religious practices and, and ritual. You need to make sure that you are rejoicing uh, in the Lord and, and in the Lord alone. He says this in the second part of verse 1. It's, he stopped thinking about it for a second. It's kind of neat. He says, uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, to write the same things to you uh, to me is not grievous, uh, he wasn't grieved by having to write this, but for you it is safe, he says. Uh, what, what does this mean? What's it about? I think he's saying simply this. I know that I've said this before. Uh, I'm going to say this again. I've, I've commanded you before to rejoice in the Lord. I, I'm going to command you again to re rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same thing to you, uh, it's not grievous to me. He's, he's just getting it down as the Holy Spirit's giving it, right? It's not grievous to me. But he says, but it, for you it's safe or uh, the, word, the underlying word has the idea of, of sure or secure. In a general sense, it, it, it's good. <laughs> it, it's good. It, it's certainly a good thing to be commanded and to be reminded to be sure that you're rejoicing in the Lord himself rather than all these religious experiences that, that churches or, or cults uh, kind of concoct to create a sense of, 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 of worshipful experience that may or may not really have much at all to do with the Lord. Paul says it's, it's, it's good for him to write this and to say it again and to write it again. Uh, there's a safety, there's a security uh, in, in being reminded to take care that what you're rejoicing is in is the Lord himself the Lord himself. There's, there's safety in being reminded uh, to do that. This is God's will, number one. Number two, Paul warned. Uh, he warned that, uh, there's, there's W word, he warned that there were people out there in the first century uh, who were trying to draw the people away from a singular focus on the Lord and, uh, and grace and, and would try to draw them back into that which they, they came out of. Now, in the first century, of course, again, it was Judaism that people had been saved out of. Some of them had been saved out of the uh, goddess worship and the mysticism and, and, and things like that. So, but he seems to be speaking primarily to those that had been saved out of uh, Old Testament Judaism and all the, all the, the, um, the religious rituals and, and practices uh, that went along with that. He's warning them that there will be people who try to draw you back to that which you have come from. And uh, a warning is given, why? So that you can be prepared to deal with that pressure or temptation or both when it comes. A, a warning is given uh, for safety, right? It's, it's to keep you spiritually safe. And go back to the end of verse 1, that word safe is there. Paul Paul's concerned with the spiritual safety of, of those church members. If they keep their eyes on God and, and rejoice in him rather than all the religious trappings and, and, and ritualism, they, they do well. If they were prepared and stood guard, if they received a warning about people that would try to draw them back into uh, unbiblical or less biblical systems, they, they, there'd be a spiritual safety in that for them. Well, he says it this way in verse 2. He says, beware of dogs. Uh, why dogs? 
Well, it's, it's, it's the term that's being used for people. It's not, it's not being used nicely, is it? Uh, picture for a moment, Brother Richard, coyotes. Uh, we see coyotes around sometimes, right? And what, what are they doing? They're, they're out prowling around looking for what? Whatever they can prey on, right? Might, might be your pet. <laughs> uh, people in town have chickens. Uh, they're probably looking for chickens or pets or whatever they can find. They're out there prowling around looking for anything that they can prey on, anything that they can take uh, and, and eat, anything they can make their own. This is probably the idea. Paul says there are people out there that are, that are looking for true believers, um, saved, baptized members of, of legitimate New Testament churches that they can prey on uh, and, and, and pull out, draw out, and make their own. He says, beware of those dogs. Beware. There's people like that out there. And of course, there are people like that still in the world today. He says, beware of evil workers. Uh, these might be the ones uh, who uh, we saw this morning, nine o'clock hour, who uh, they're given over to error because they're, they've given themselves over to demonic influence. And of course, that's a real thing. It's not a, that's not crazy talk. That's a real thing. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Then he says this, and, and this might not be clear. He says, beware of what? Let's see word concision. Uh, beware of the concision. This is where it becomes more clear that in his case, uh, in the first century, the, the real issue in, in Philippi was those Judaizers that were trying to draw Maryland, draw people back into the law and all the ritual and law keeping of Old Testament. Uh, well, that's the only kind of Judaism, Old Testament Judaism. Uh, how do I know this? Well, the word concision Literally, it has the idea of cutting down uh, or cutting off, and it, be, it is a reference to the same word that's used in verse 3, circumcision, right? Male circumcision, uh, that, that physical practice, that religious practice that marked someone, that, that affiliated someone uh, as being a Jewish believer in the Old Testament. Uh, by the way, by the way, when did, they, when did they circumcise males in the Old Testament? How, how old were they? Seven days, eight days, two answers, but it, basically at the end of that first week or so, right? Um, did that have power to save them? Did it have power to save them? It, it might have marked them as having been set apart by their families for God. Uh, it, 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 that's, that's true, in a sense, that's true. The same way we might dedicate a baby today, that, that would be true. We're, we're saying, hey, we dedicate this child to the Lord. We're asking the church family to pray for the, uh, this infant. But neither circumcision nor dedication uh, nor infant baptism uh, has any power to save anybody. How was Abraham saved in the Old Testament? By his belief, by, by his faith, by his belief that what he believed mixed with trust, that throw those things together, you have faith, and Bible's clear in multiple places. Bible makes clear that he was saved by, by faith, by his belief, by his trust in the Lord. So um, this, this is a reference here to uh, specifically to Old Testament Judaism and the rituals that accompany that. People were trusting in those rituals, uh, trusting in the keeping of the law, uh, rejoicing in those things, 
uh, despite the fact that they had no power to save, the law as a schoolmaster shows us that we need to be saved, uh, certainly shows us that we can't be saved, but, uh, but people were at risk of being pulled back into that thing uh, from, which, from which they came. Uh, today, today, not many, some of us have come out of Judaism, I understand that, and, and some of us have known at different points in our life uh, great pressure uh, to draw back into that, like the first century Jewish converts. Uh, others of us have come out of mainline denominations that, that have false gospel or, or, or uh, baptism for salvation. By the way, baptism for salvation is a false gospel, right? Baptism for salvation is a false gospel. I don't like that. I, don't, I wish that wasn't the case. But it is. It is. Um, and when, when people draw out of the mainline denominations to come into a, a, a church that's trying to be more biblical, like this is all kinds of pressure. All kinds of pressure. People come out of Catholicism. There's all kinds of pressure. Uh, people come out of Pentecostal churches that teach you can lose your salvation. I'm sorry, that's a false gospel also. I wish that wasn't the case, but it is. There's all kinds of pressure to draw back into that which you came. You know, this is our church. This is our tradition. Um, but it's false. It's false. And the Lord understands that. The Lord understands that. Paul says, listen, I get it. God, God gets it. I, I get it. Paul, what, what, what had Paul been saved out of, church? What had he been saved out of? Judaism, right? He's going to call himself here the Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, you know, if anyone could be saved by uh, staying uh, in, in, in that now expired faith, uh, that all, all the stuff of the Old Testament that only pointed to Christ, uh, in which there was true salvation, uh, if people were going to, if he would fall back into that, uh, nothing would be accomplished. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, verse 3, Paul says, hey, I did not trust uh, he, Paul would not trust in the re religious, I'll get it out, religious rituals uh, from which he came. Look at verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision, the true circumcision, uh, which worship God in the what? The spirit. You don't worship God through religious rituals today, do you? Do you? Do you worship the Lord through rituals? You don't, I mean, we, we have baptism and we have the Lord's Supper. We will get back to that, by the way, safely, eventually. But those aren't, those aren't religious rituals. Those are ordinances the Lord has ordained uh, that point to Christ and all that we know in Christ and in the death, burial, and resurrection pictured in baptism and a remembrance of the cross pictured in the, in the Lord's Supper and uh, all of the hope that we have in, in Christ. These are, these are pictures. They're, they're not religious rituals. Paul says we worship God in the spirit, not through, not through all the ritual, and rejoice in who? In, in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence. Same word is translated trust uh, elsewhere. I have no confidence in the flesh. Uh, circumcision being a religious ritual, and, all, and just an example of, of the rituals of, of that old system. He said, I don't have any confidence that that, that, that stuff could save. All, all it did is point to uh, the way that, that one could be saved, but uh, it wouldn't make any sense to go back into that system that could only reveal sin and, and point me to Christ. I found Christ. I found biblical Christianity. I found the truth and, and, and what a church should be and 
uh, all, all the things that that church has practiced as part of worship, not ritual, what sense would it make to go back into uh, all, of, all of the ritual worship and, and keeping the law uh, for salvation? Never saved anyone. Um, and so this was, the, this was the case for Paul. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, look at verse 4. He says, if religious rituals actually accomplished anything, uh, he, he of all people would have benefited. He, look at verse 4. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, I might, tr I might trust in those things. Uh, if any other man thinketh that he had whereof, he might trust in the flesh. I more, uh, I more circumcised the eighth day. Uh, Paul had been raised in, in Judaism with all of its rituals and, uh, and, and law-keeping. Uh, he, he didn't trust in that. He did not trust in that. Uh, he says neither did he trust in his, his ethnicity, the fact that he was ethnically Jewish. Second part of verse 5 says he was of the stock of Israel. He was Jewish. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was Jewish. I think I shared on Wednesday night um, I remember trying to work, uh, witness to a college roommate back like a thousand years ago now, right, Gary? <laughs> and uh, he's Jewish, and he said, listen, I don't, I don't need what you're talking about. I'm Jewish. You know, I was born Jewish. I was born right with God because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. And, you know, you, you can open a Bible and show someone. It doesn't matter what you were born into. Uh, what matters is whether or not you're in Christ or not. And you weren't born in Christ. Well, you know, um, you have to choose to place your faith in Christ. And Paul, Paul didn't make that mistake. He, he didn't trust in the fact that he was ethnically Jewish. He would trust in, in Christ alone. Look, look, next part of verse 5. He says, neither did I trust in my obedience to keep the law. Uh, how well he practiced his faith. He says, in the next part of verse 5, he's in Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, he, he was a premier <laughs> Jewish man uh, in, in that he kept the law uh, like, like no one, he's basically saying here. In Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Uh, they had all kinds of error, right? They, they were truly trusting in their ability to keep the law, to make them right with God, even though that makes no sense at all because no one could keep the law. Uh, no one could keep the law. Paul says, listen, uh, if, if anyone could have been made right by all the ritual and all the stuff of the religion that, that I came out of, certainly I would have been made right by that, and I wasn't. Uh, he knew that. Uh, I wasn't made right with God, Marilyn, when I was baptized as a baby Presbyterian. Uh, no, one, no one has been made right with God through their baptism in a, in a mainline Protestant uh, church. No Methodist, no Congregationalist, whatever. You can just add, add to the list. Uh, no one has been made right by that. And yet we understand there's all kinds of pressure to go back into those churches and those systems. Paul says, nah, -uh. not doing it. That stuff that stuff that has no power to save anyone. In verse 6, Paul says, listen, uh, even though I was born into that faith, and even though I was a super practitioner of that faith, and even though, in verse 6, he says, I had a great zeal uh, for that system. I had such a zeal for it. Uh, verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, uh, he, he had a zeal to 
uh, defend, before he was saved, to defend the Jewish system by persecuting the church. He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had a tremendous zeal to practice his faith as obediently as he could, that, that old system, uh, and, and a zeal to crush anything that would be a, an affront to that old system. May I ask you this? If you have a great fervor, uh, a great zeal, a great faith in something that is false, does your zeal have any power to make that falsehood true? Brother Art, you could believe all day long that one plus one is three, right? You, man, you could believe it. You could invest yourself in it. You could hire a plane to skywrite that. You could build a website. One plus one equals three. You could, you could invest your life in, in, in that statement um, with that kind of zeal. Would it ever be true? Never. This is what Paul's saying. You can, have, you can have the most genuine, sincere fervor and zeal for a system that is false. It's still false. Isn't that sad when you see people caught up so, so invested uh, in systems, in churches, in, in cults, in false religious systems that, that are false? Man, they're so, so strongly invested in them, and yet they're, they're still false. And zeal for falsehood will never make a falsehood truth. It's just a fact. And so Paul he warns, hey, listen, there, there's, there's going to be pressure to draw back into that which you've come from. Or you're going to know people that are going to experience this pressure. We need to keep in mind that <laughs> falsehood is falsehood. And it doesn't make any sense to draw back into that which is not biblical. Well, let's continue on. Um, consider for a moment, consider for a moment why had Paul invested himself th so thoroughly in being the best Jew that he possibly could have. Uh, the Bible reveals, or at least strongly implies, that uh, Paul was pretty accomplished as a Jewish man. Uh, no doubt he was on the fast track to increasingly greater positions and, and power and uh, all, all that would come along with that, material wealth perhaps, uh, all, everything that could be gained within the Jewish power structure. Uh, Paul, Paul was on the fast track, no doubt, uh, for his obedience, for his faithfulness to those things. And uh, for him to uh, turn from that, let me say it differently, for him to turn to Christ from that would require giving up certain things, wouldn't it? Gary, he, he would have had to have been willing to give some things up. His, his position the promise of greater position, the power of the prestige. Look at Paul. He's, you know, he, here he is. He's, he, if he wasn't part of the Sanhedrin, certainly he was en route to that. Uh, he, he had a lot to look forward to as a Jewish man, uh, being who he was and, and what he had accomplished within that system. For him to turn to Christ, the Messiah, that they had what? Persecuted and executed would absolutely require that he give up all of that, the money, the power, the prestige, the position, all of that. He, he would have to give that up. And uh, Paul understood that. Paul understood that. And, and he understood that, that many in the Philippian church had given some things up 
when they came to Christ. And no doubt, <laughs> the same is, is true today. Uh, when people come to Christ today, sometimes there are some things that, that have to be given up. There's some, some things that you found enjoyment in that just aren't biblical that have to be given up. There's, there's some relationships maybe that need to be curtailed, not necessarily cut off. You don't be able to lead people to Christ, but things that need to be dialed down. There's, there's different things that uh, have to be given up, and, and you, know, you might perceive there's some cost. No, no doubt this gives people cause sometimes uh, in coming to Christ. I'm going to have to give up too much. I don't know if anyone's ever said that to me, but, but I'm quite sure you kind of see in people's eyes sometimes. They're, they're thinking about what I have to give up, the cost, the price that I will have to pay uh, to come to Christ. The Lord understands that we're tempted to think that way, and Paul understood that because he experienced it. He, he understood that there was, in a sense, a cost. There could be family relationships that are affected. There could be all sorts of things. Uh, if it, you know, family relationships might be the, the, the most valuable thing, the most precious thing that, that would be affected uh, in coming to Christ and you know, being baptized into a biblical church and, and, and living for the Lord rather than the things that you used to live for. There's, you know, there's going to be a difference and and. and there's, there's going to be some kind of cost. Paul says, listen, I get that. I get that. But number three this morning is this. Paul so un, also, Paul, let me try that again. Paul also understood that he won far more in Christ than he gave up. Amen? Paul, there's your third W, one. Paul understood that uh, no matter what he gave up when he came to Christ, and, you know, got baptized into a biblical church and, and, and began to grow and, and serve and eventually had the privilege to be sent out to, to plant more churches like that. Whatever, whatever he gave up, power, prestige, position, um, you know, the respect of family, whatever it was, he gained so much more in coming to Christ. Have you given up some things when you came to Christ? Yeah, you probably have, right? No doubt you have. Uh, have you gained that much more than you gave up? Is, is it worth it? Uh, think about what you gave up and think about what you gained. Uh, is it worth it? Well, you gained salvation, right? You gained salvation. And, you know, if, if you've been obedient uh, to be baptized in, in a biblical church and, and to serve the Lord there, say a baptized church member, You've gained not just salvation, but rewards that you'll know in eternity that will be a great blessing to you, but more importantly, will, will be a blessing to the Lord, will bring him honor and glory. We've, we've gained infinitely more than we've ever given up. And I understand there, you know, there could be some big things, uh, some relationships and, and other things that were really valuable to you, precious to you, but, but things that, that nonetheless had far less value than what you've gained. Look at verse 7. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All the stuff that I used to think was gain, you know, Christ didn't see that as gain. Uh, him going out persecuting churches was, wasn't gain for Christ. Verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all those things but loss. All those things, yep, lost, uh, but for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of what? All things. And do count those things that he's lost as what? You could say it. It's a Bible word. What is it? Dung. <laughs> Garbage, sewage, worthless. Uh, when, he, when he compared what he gained in Christ... Everything that he lost, he realized it was garbage, valueless. Garbage has no value. Sewage has no value. Worthless. Uh, when he compared, when he really thought about what he gained compared to what he gave up, he realized that it didn't compare at all. Just, just not at all. Verse 9, he gained salvation. Write that down, please. He gained salvation. Verse 9, be found in him not having my own righteousness, uh, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by what? By faith. By faith, not, not of rituals. And uh, yes, we should be baptized, but not for salvation. Uh, faith, faith, faith is the thing. Uh, not religious rituals and the system that he came from or any other system. Uh, he left all that behind and left behind everything that it promised him, realizing that compared to the value of salvation, what he left behind was nothing at all, just, just nothing uh, at all. Secondly, he gained the power of Christ in his life. He gained salvation eternally, but also gained the power of, his, of Christ in his life immediately. Look at verse 10. He says, that I may know him in the what? Power, power, power. Of, of what? His resurrection. Uh, how much power do you suppose it took to resurrect Christ from the grave? By the way, had he passed out or was he dead? He was dead, right? He died. He died upon the cross. There's no question about that. He, he died. He was buried. And on the third day, he resurrected bodily. That, imagine the power that it would take to accomplish his resurrection. It would take a great power. Paul, Paul understood that when he came to Christ, giving up some things, he gained salvation and, and he gained the power of Christ in his life. And not just a little power, the same power that it took to resurrect Christ from the grave. That's a great power. Anybody here have the power to, to resurrect uh, someone from the dead? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> God does, and it is awesome. Uh, it is aw awesome. Brother Steve, if, if we don't have the privilege to experience the rapture as living people, we will experience the rapture as people who died and were buried, right? We're going to be resurrected also. Uh, imagine the power it'll take. Uh, some of the people over here in the cemetery, they've been here since well before the revolution. That's a long time. That's a long time. I hope some of them are truly, were truly genuinely saved and still are, right? Uh, are they going to be, are their bodies going to be resurrected at the rapture uh, and perfected eternally? That's an amazing thing. I don't want you to stop and think about what they look like in the grave now, but maybe do that just for a second. For those bodies that have been there for 200 plus years to be resurrected uh, and perfected, that's, that's an amazing power uh, to accomplish that. That power is available to us in our lives today, that same power. Paul said, I've been saved. Who am I to, to think about what I gave up? I've been saved. And, and when I was saved, 
the spiritual power that I gained uh, in salvation is so much more valuable than any worldly authority or power within the Jewish uh, system and hierarchy. Yep, I gave up some power there, but the spiritual power that I've gained in Christ so much more valuable. Amen? Don't you have the same power that Paul's talking about? Church? You do, right? You've been saved, and you have the power of God in your life as well. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, uh, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Uh, praise God. <laughs> praise God. We, we know Christ as our Savior, and we know experientially uh, his power uh, in our lives. Think about what else have you gained? What else have you gained uh, having been saved? What else have you gained? Uh, you've been saved, amen? Amen? Power of Christ in your life. Uh, how about new purpose? New purpose? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? By the way, is it easy to find yourself just kind of sitting around these days feeling like, I have no purpose? You ever, find you, ever feel that way? I have no purpose. No, you do. <laughs> you do. If you've been saved, uh, you've been given a new purpose, and you still have that purpose. Uh, it's not going away. It's to serve the Lord. Uh, it's to please him. It, it's to enter into a relationship with him and serve him and please him uh, and, and cooperate with your church members to lead people to Christ and to uh, disciple them and uh, to lead them into service. Uh, we have great purpose, uh, great purpose. Paul, Paul says in second part of verse 10, he says the to know the fellowship of his sufferings, uh, being made conformable unto, uh, unto his death. Now that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, no doubt Paul lived for himself, or largely for himself, before he was saved. And having been saved and know the power of Christ in his life, um, he's, he's yielded to the Lord's purposes for his life. He's so yielded to the Lord's purposes, even if it will cost him his life, he's still yielded to Christ and, and his purposes. If preaching the gospel and establishing churches as God permitted will cost him his life, uh, he doesn't care because that's the purpose that God has given him. And what's the worst thing that could happen if that cost him his life? The worst thing that could happen is he's home with the Lord in heaven, uh, awaiting the resurrection of his body at the rapture. That's the worst thing that could happen, and isn't that the best thing uh, that could happen? By the way, by the way, what, what was Paul living for before he was saved? Where was he going when he got saved? Where was he going? He was on the road to where? What was he going to do there? He's going to persecute Christians and, and churches. You know, being the Hebrew of Hebrews, defending Judaism at any cost to anyone, uh, he was on the, on the way to persecute Christians, uh, to round them up. He had been complicit in their deaths uh, at times. We, we know that from Scripture. Uh, this is a man who had been, um, who had previously sought or at least permitted uh, the killing of Christians. And, and now he found himself willing to be killed for Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that an amazing thing? D is there some evidence there that coming to Christ changed his life? 
did it change his life like this much? This much, right? It's, it's an amazing thing. Um, his life could not have been changed any more than it was. This man was on his way to persecute, perhaps to somehow participate in the killing of Christians, and now having been saved and knowing the power of Christ in his life and receiving a new purpose, he's so committed to, these, to his Savior and to that purpose, he's now willing to be killed for Christ. It's an amazing thing. The Lord makes that kind of change uh, in our lives. Uh, genuine salvation produces genuine change. Now listen, if you're here this morning and say, I don't know if the Lord's produced that kind of change in my life, I would say, well, listen, uh, if you're sure you're saved, maybe you want to start praying a little bit more and say, Lord, change me. Help me to yield to you. Uh, help, help me to be sanctified, separated from sin. And uh, as I come apart from sin, help me to be that much more available to you, God. Help me to take up your purpose, as I give up my old purposes and, and, and the things that used to matter to me, and I come apart from sinful things. Lord, not in my strength, but in yours. Help, help me to reinvest all that time and energy and strength and purpose in, in you and serving you, Lord, and, and let God do some amazing things in your life. May I ask you this this morning? Has God done anything amazing in you and through you? Has he? Has he? You got something? You got something? Has God used you to lead someone to Christ? I hope so. I hope so. Um, has, he, has he at least used you to share the gospel? I can't cause anyone to be saved, um, but I can yield to the Lord and share the gospel. <laughs> Amen? And that pleases him. That, that pleases him. That's, that's why we're here. Uh, such a tremendous change uh, in Paul's life. Look at verse 11. He says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He, he gained this promise that no matter what happened to him, uh, if he died <laughs> serving the Lord, no matter what happened, he gained the promise that he would be resurrected, perfected. He gained salvation. He gained power of Christ. He gained a new purpose. He gained the promise of resurrection, personal resurrection, uh, and heaven to follow. Let's go just a little bit further here. Um, heaven to follow is really the, the, the theme of the balance uh, of the chapter. I don't know that we have time to look at all the chapter, but let's, let's look at a few things here at least. Um, so he had, he had gained so much that was important to him this side of heaven, but he also gained the promise of resurrection and, and the promises of heaven to follow. Is anybody here looking forward to heaven? Mike, are you looking forward to heaven? Man, I am. We're going to be there together, right? But we're, we're going to be there together perfected. And that, that'll be a wonderful thing, right? Not annoying each other, not letting each other down, not, not getting on each other's nerves. I know that doesn't happen in our church, Pastor. Uh, we, you know, no grievances against each other. Those things be gone. <laughs> and we'll be perfected, loving each other perfectly, enjoying a perfect fellowship together in eternity, uh, worshiping in the presence of our Savior. Can you imagine? There's a sense in which we are today, a very real sense, but uh, we're not worshiping uh, our Lord in his physical presence today. It's the spiritual presence today. Uh, just, to, just imagine the beauty and all, all the blessings and uh, the joy, uh, the joy. Um, Paul gained the promise of resurrection, which ultimately points to the promise uh, of heaven. Um, he's humbled 
about these things. You see in verses 12 and 13, he recognizes he, he hasn't already attained these things, verse 12. Verses 15, 16, and 17 he encourages believers to follow his example, take up these truths that he's focusing on. There'll be a great aid to him in not falling back into that which he's come from. He's, he's, Paul's inoculated now against falling back into that which he's come from because he's, he's leaning forward into heaven. He's not leaning back into which he came from. He's, he's, turned, he's turned around completely. He's put his eyes upon the Lord and everything that he's gained in this life, this side of heaven, and also leaning into the promises of, of eternity and he's greatly encouraged and, and, and in this inoculated against the temptation or the pressure uh, to turn back. Look at, look at verse, verse 18 and 19. First, uh, he says here, um, Christians, I'm sorry, false, there's false Christians, false Christians who just continue to live for worldly ple pleasures. Um, he says they're enemies of the cross. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you weeping, they are enemies of the cross. There's false believers, false professors. People tell you they're Christians, but really they, they're not. And they're just trying to draw you away from the truth um, to placate their own conscience. Uh, verse 19, false professors, false believers, they're going to suffer punishment in hell. That's fact. Verse 19, their end, whose end is destruction. That word is often translated perdition. Uh, it's used in, as reference to hell. It's not destruction of conscious existence. It's destruction of spiritual well-being and physical well-being. But you don't burn up there. It's destruction um, from God. Their God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. They mind earthly things. These are, that's how you identify false professors. They're they're, they're living for earthly things and, and the rewards of this earth. Uh, they're minding earthly things rather than making their life about the Lord and, and the things of God and eternal things. They're living for the things of this earth, the very temporal pleasures of this earth, rather than the eternal heavenly rewards that true believers, true believers will know. Well, Paul, Paul contrasts that with our hope. So uh, that's, that's the situation for false believers, maybe who've, you know, sadly been infected by a false gospel in unbiblical churches. Paul says, hey, listen, we have such a better thing. There's, there's, no, there's no value in, in going back to that junk when we've got the real deal and all, and all the benefits this side of heaven plus, plus heaven itself. Look at verse 20. He says, for our conversation is in heaven. The word conversation here is not the word that is translated conversation other places. Sometimes the word uh, has the idea of our behavior. Here it has the idea of citizenship. The underlying word uh, is a political word that alludes to citizenship. Um, you are a citizen of the United States, if you are a citizen of the United States, and there are certain benefits that go along with that. Um, I understand, Marilyn, while I may be a citizen of the United States, I'm just passing through this world. My true citizenship is in heaven, right? And uh, having been adopted into the family of God, I, I have been given, awarded, eternal citizenship in heaven and the benefits that go along with that. A amen? And, and Paul says it this way. He says, for our conversation, our true citizenship is in heaven. 
uh, not the earth, uh, from whence also we look for, uh, we wait for patiently the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior, amen? Uh, who, verse 21, who shall change our vile body, uh, sick, broken down, sin-cursed bodies, uh, that it may be fashioned, our bodies, like unto his glorious body. He has a glorious resurrection body, and you will too, uh, and you'll keep it throughout eternity, as far as I can understand from Scripture, uh, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things uh, unto himself. He's, he has the power to glorify our bodies that he will resurrect uh, and glorify and, and we'll take those into eternity uh, as a wonderful blessing, as a wonderful blessing and benefit and privilege of our true citizenship in heaven. Um, so let me ask you a question again, two quick questions. Have you given some things up when you came to Christ? Yeah, sure enough. Are they anything at all compared to what you have already received in Christ? No. And are they anything at all compared to the certain hope that we know as citizens of heaven and all the benefits uh, that we look forward to in heaven? Are they anything at all? We may have to give up some power, prestige, some, uh, we may have to be willing to suffer what people think about us uh, to come to Christ, to remain with Christ, to, to stay in a good biblical, Bible-believing church that's living according to the Bible rather than what the world would like Christianity to be. We may, we may suffer people looking down upon us for that. We will. Sure enough, we will. But how much more we have gained and will gain. Praise God for that. It's all possible because of who? Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you this morning for this passage. Lord, I understand how important it is. Certainly, it was important for Jewish believers in the first century. Lord, it's no less important for people today. Uh, there are so many different systems and false churches and cults and false religions, Lord, that people get saved out of today. And, and so much pressure to draw back into those things. Lord, help us. Help us as individuals and a church to focus on what we've gained in biblical Christianity. Uh, Lord, help us to never feel like we've given up something of value. We've gained so much more. Lord, help us be prepared to share these truths with, with people who are, are tempted to fall back, to go back into something less biblical. Lord, we've gained so much. We've gained so much in Christ. I pray this morning, Lord, if... Uh, we find ourselves at times feeling like we've, we've given up too much in coming to Christ. Lord, I pray that we would confess that to you as a, as a wrong thought, as a wrong thought. Lord, if we feel at times like the cost to remain faithful to you is too high, I pray, Father, that we would confess that as a, as a wrong thought. Lord, it's it's a cost. There is a cost. But it simply does not compare to all that we've gained and will gain. Lord, I understand that you will try our service at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Lord, I understand this morning that there'll be rewards for faithfulness, faithfulness that you've enabled. Lord, help us to value eternal heavenly rewards more than positive accolades of the world or anything that we might gain in being unfaithful to you. We gain so much more in faithfulness and living according to your word in being in a good Bible-believing church, in looking to you, Lord, and yielding ourselves to you rather than the world and its demands. Lord, I thank you this morning that what we found in Christ is so very much better than anything that we might return to. I pray this morning that you, you help us to confess thoughts to the contrary and, Lord, that you give us grace to conform our thoughts to this passage and help us, help us. Lord, and help us to be prepared to help others with the truths of this passage. Father, I love you this morning. I thank you so much for your willingness to send your only begotten son to die for me. I am not worthy. I do not deserve that. It's your grace. Lord, I'm so very thankful for it. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Lord, thank you for your blessings toward our church. I give you a moment to pray, church, and we'll close. Lord, we love you. We thank you and pray again in Jesus' name.